matters of the mind. Are you looking for answers, ideas, or just want someone to listen to you so you can vent? Join Dr. Peter Sacco as he discusses what matters most, issues that surround the mind. He gets to the heart of the matter when it comes to issues involving anger, depression, addictions, fear, anxiety, relationships, sex, abuse, bullying, and everything concerning you. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Welcome to Matters of the Mind on this Wednesday, where everything on your mind matters to us. That would be me, Dr. Peter Andrusacco, and my co-host and producer, Todd Miller. So, Todd, what is on your mind today, buddy? The uh, I'm the resident layperson on this show. <laughs> it's funny, some guests, I guess, sometimes assume that I'm uh, a psychologist, and uh, I should probably announce that a little bit more often. That No, it's strictly just just my uh, uninformed opinion on generally the matters that... Uh, that uh, of the mind that matter to us. Well, the way you have to look at this is we all have a mind, we all have a psyche, and we all think, and we all try to correct our lives and sometimes dabble and mess in other people's lives. So in our own rights, we are all psychologists. Well, you know, yeah, and I, I compared one of our uh, past guests to a, uh, you know, a, a pseudo-psychologist because I think we all end up doing that. We all, in one way or another, analyze our own behavior and the ones that are around us, whether they're friends or family. So, um, yeah, you know, that's just part of the part of the dynamic that we go through is that we end up analyzing, uh, you know, analyzing everything that we go through. And so, yeah, I guess we could say we're all psychologists in one uh, respect. But I think this show also creates a sense of community. Um, shared experiences generates that. When people come on the show and say, I had this, even if one person hears it go, yeah, I had that too, I think it it just helps people feel a, a greater sense of belonging. Yeah, uh, deep down we're all basically the same, I think, uh, in terms of our emotions, that we all experience and share the same emotions, sometimes a little more intense than others. Um, we all have different experiences that get us to the same kinds of emotions. And it's interesting, Todd, I think everybody's been angry, everybody's been happy, um, and then we get into, you know, everybody at some point has gone through some sense of sadness, depression, anxiety, frustration, uh, we can go through that list, even phobias, but interesting, um, I think, and you know, we're going to be talking about this on the show today, who out there has never gone through an issue of forgiveness, either being the one that needs to forgive somebody, or being forgiven? Who hasn't? Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. There's probably some people that have gone through the experience where they haven't um, sought that out or it hasn't been offered to them. Um, there's probably a small portion of the population that hasn't. But I think the vast majority of people try and seek some sort of closure to that respect where there's been a wrong that's been done. And, um, and hopefully at some point... It's been clarified, but our guest today has an interesting story. And, of course, there's the unique dynamic relationship that she was put in where you have someone that is viewed as a, you know, um, someone that knows more than you that you have to respect. And when they give their opinion, sometimes it's hurtful and, and you take that to heart. Absolutely. And, in fact, um, perhaps the term you're fumbling for is narcissism mm. or narcissistic. And I think we've all been down that road where somebody thinks they know more than us. Um, you know, and a lot of times it does start out in parenthood. And I think there's a fine line between, how should we put this, respecting parents and respecting elders, respecting superiors because of their position. But 
is there, you know, where does it begin where you find and finally tuned line where part of it is respect because of their elder position or superior position versus common sense or lack of knowledge. Because let's be realistic, Todd, I'm sure there's more kids today that could probably school all of us on internet savvy and technology, but yet we're in superior positions, correct? Oh, absolutely. And I think from my own experience, I uh, my father's still living and still uh, to this day, tries to correct me on certain things and tell me that he knows more about a certain topic than I do. And I think, I don't know if that's uh, his philosophy or his personal makeup, or if it's just his view as a parent trying to assert it and saying, I know more than you, trust me, I've been around longer. And I came to realize at a very young age that my dad, you know, while I respect him as a parent, I don't always respect him as an authority on all topics and that's where that line gets drawn because you have to respect your parents just by virtue of the relationship but you don't always have to let them become experts in every topic absolutely and I think you know some people would say well you can't teach an old dog new tricks and in fact I don't know if it's about tricks per se I think it's just about parents um, elders they feel and sometimes, and they mean really, really well, folks, but what they're doing is basically still holding on to their sense of belonging in the world, which in the beginning of our lives, they were the authorities, our authority figure in our lives, the elder figure in our lives, our guardians, our protectors, etc. And I still think, Todd, in many ways, that's their way of feeling connected to us still, that we never, ever leave the nest in terms of psychologically speaking. Yeah, I think it's a sense of control and, and there's good control and bad control. I think the good control is you want to make sure that your kids are safe, that they're growing up in the right way, they're making sensible choices. And then there's the bad control where you actually want to direct their lives. And, um, you know, I've heard so many horror stories of parents that never got to become a police officer or an astronaut or whatever, and they sort of channel their kids in those directions to sort of satisfy some something that's lacking in their own lives and that's of course the bad bad control absolutely and um you know it's goes the opposite way too where some parents vicariously live through their kids and keep pushing their kids even to their adulthoods because they're basically saying hey i want to see you as the ceo of some company i want to see you in some sort of professional sport whatever the heck it is or in that practical job where you're going to be financially secure because that's what it's all about. Unfortunately, Todd, a lot of people think they equate success and happiness with being, how should we put it, practical. Well, practical and, you know, making a good income because let's face it, I, you know probably better than anyone, money doesn't solve all problems. In fact, it probably creates more than it actually solves. And, uh, you know, it's just, with, with parenting, it's, it's a fine line because you really want your kids to be successful and, and be safe and, and be re well rewarded for what they do. But let's just think about it for a quick second. If every parent in the past had managed to convince their kids to do what they say, where would we have been without people that developed all this great technology that, that said to their parents, you know what, I've got to follow my my heart or, or, or all the great art or songwriting that, that's been created over the years, all those great pieces of art and, and songs because they didn't follow their parents' advice. No, I'm joining a band, I'm 16, I'm joining a band, I'm going off to tour. And all of that life experience fed their art. 
Absolutely talk. You know what? I think deep down, a lot of people, even if you're estranged from your parents, you've had a, a situation where you can't. You know, it's fragmented. It's broken apart at this moment. Deep down, and I, I really do speak to the from the heart. But this, your parents do really appreciate you, respect you, love you to death, and probably deep down, they may not have told you. They're very proud of you. So excited today to have a great guest. Gail Kirschenbaum, who is an award-winning filmmaker, TV producer, blogger, and personality who has now completed her first featured documentary, an intensely personal look at a mother-daughter relationship titled Look at Us Now, Mother, which is going to be in film festivals. And we're going to have her on our show when we come back. Awesome. Stay tuned. Grab a beverage. You're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio at talk-radio.ca. We'll be right back. The music you'll hear on Out of the Blue will be jazz for the most part. No specific styles or genres. Every piece of music is handpicked to deliver quality performances. Out of the Blue can be heard on rtds.ca, live Mondays 1 to 3 p.m., and encore performances Tuesday to Friday, anytime on demand. It's the true spirit of jazz, a touch of everything and then some. Thanks for listening. I'm Larry Green. Peter Andrew Sacco, and do you have technological rage? Oh yeah, the new rage of anger. Download my new book today, Technological Rage, on my website, www.petersacco.com, and learn what technological rage is and how it is sweeping people today, leading to online dating anger, texting anger, and social online networking forums. Hmm, did you ever think you might get angry texting? Facebooking or online dating, maybe you never thought it would happen to you, or maybe you know somebody that has this and you just need to understand it a little more. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Welcome to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week. And for folks that are emailing us, sending us messages on Facebook, keep them coming for show ideas, guests that you'd like to see or possibly hear on our show. And everything on your mind, as we say, matters to us each and every week. And that is why we are so excited to have, as we talked about before break, Gail Kirschenbaum, who is an award-winning filmmaker, TV producer, and blogger. And she's got a tremendous feature documentary coming out, which is an intensely personal look at a highly charged mother-daughter relationship titled, Look at Us Now, Mother. Welcome to the show, Gail. And just curious, when you say mother, do you do it like Norman Bates does in Psycho? <laughs> That's funny. No, um, I would say... Well, no, yeah, I mean, that's very funny, but not quite. <laughs> so, Gail, 
before we get into this, uh, I just want to kind of put out there that you, you created several reality shows that have premiered on TLC um, and Discovery Health, and you co-created Judgment Day that aired on HBO. HBO, yeah, that's correct. And you're a member of the Producers Guild of America, uh, New York Women in Film and Television, Film Fatales, and is a judge for the Emmys. Very cool. So tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I, my, as my mother likes to say, and she says it in the film, I was born an artist. So I was born, um, you know, drawing and, and visual art was sort of where I went originally. And then career-wise, when I got started, I was a graphic designer. I was in advertising, making commercials, and I got really fed up with that when we were awarded the Red Man Chewing Tobacco commercial, which was for a lot of money. And 60 Minutes did a special on lip and tongue cancer in kids. And I said, I'm sorry, but I don't want to have anything to do with this. And that's when I said, you know, I kind of fell into advertising. And granted, there was a lot of money in it, but this is not for me. So I closed my office, and I headed west. And I went into the entertainment business. So it was out in L.A. where I went into TV. I got myself into, um, I got my first film to direct at the local PBS affiliate. And um, I remember when I got it, it was based on something I wrote. I said to somebody, where do you begin? You know, I wasn't even a writer then. And uh, lo and behold, I won an Emmy for that first film. And I just tell people everything you do in life is transferable. And that's it. So that got me into the entertainment industry. And I had a career making um, nonfiction programming. And I decided after 13 years I wanted to come back east to New York, where I'm from. And I came back, and um, I started making my own films. So I say I had to move to L.A. to actually get into the entertainment industry and move back to New York to hear my own voice and start making my own projects. Incredible. I, uh, I too, was bit early by the entertainment bug. I remember getting my first job where there was a manager and a boss and rules and regulations. And I thought, I, I don't fit in here. I just, uh, this is not what, what drives me. I need to have that artistic integrity and freedom to do what I want. Um, and I remember very young, you know, showing my parents my achievements along the way, the artistic ones, and having them go, hmm, yeah, okay. Um, it was sort of a, you know, a double-edged sword because they, they feigned interest or feigned approval when something happened. But it was so bizarre when when friends would come over or, or their peers, they would go, oh, did you know my son's done this and my son's done that? So it was always trotted out at those <laughs> moments to, you know, hold up in front of everyone. Did you have many of those? How did, how did exactly. your early success? Um, you, in fact, I, I don't want to, yeah, you have to see the film. Okay. I don't want to blow it. But it, and, and that sort of unfolds in the film. But it's, it's true. Um, not too many direct compliments. Actually, I remember, because I was literally, you know, I was born artistic. I just had a knack for drawing and painting. And I actually, in my early years, I felt like I was working for my mother. Oh, I need a, poor, I need a still life for this room with these colors. Wow. So I actually began to hate it. Uh, it was like a job. I mean, it was an unpaid job. <laughs> but, yeah, it was when I wasn't around that she was busy bragging and showing things you know, showing my work to others. So, Gail, I want to throw this term out to you. Um, 
uh, your uh, Share Lady Jessica, we had been chatting, and she says, yeah. uh, Jessica Phillips, and she said one of the things that was really cool uh, when we started chatting a couple weeks ago is she used the term to describe within the relationship of you and your mom, narcissism or narcissistic. What does that term mean to you and how did that come about in your relationship to your mom? Well, you know, it's interesting. I never actually called her a narcissist, but people, um, now that I'm, you know, now that she's out in the film, and now that the film is out, and, and I made a funny short before that, somebody said, actually one of the therapists in my film, because in the film we go visit a couple of therapists, said that my mother was, um, the way Archie Bunker was a lovable racist, my mother is a lovable narcissist. <laughs> I love um, it. Yeah, well, you know, she walks into a room and she steals the air, you know? it's uh, She commands a lot of attention. Actually... Psychology Today um, quoted, uh, used an expression to describe her, which I thought was really right on, and that's a geriatric shock jock. And I thought that was quite hysterical because my mother loves attention at all costs. So she'll do anything to get attention. And sometimes she'll do things that I'm embarrassed for her that she did it. Um, so I... You know, um, I don't know if she's so much a narcissist. I mean, how would you define narcissism? Huh. <laughs> Do you want the psychological, clinical. yeah, the clinical or the fun version? You know what? You know, I look at it in terms of a grandiose sense of self, almost yeah. at a demigod, god or goddess level, to a point basically where you believe, think, feel, you are superior, you are part of a master race, you probably transcended Hitler's eugenics movement, and you are the end-all be-all if he could have created the perfect super soldier specimen. That is my clinically sarcastic view of it. So I guess to take it then is, because of this, did you find there was a lot of, how should we put this, power struggle and competition between your mother-daughter relationship? Oh, huge. It was huge. I mean, essentially, she thought, I was born into a family that was expecting a boy. I heard my entire life I was supposed to be Gary. And even on camera, my brothers say that mom said that Gary was coming home from the hospital. And, um, and guess what? She had Gail. So you would think that after two boys, she would be so excited and want, wanted a girl. And she will, and when she will say that on camera. Of course, you know I wanted a girl. So why was she constantly talking about how I was supposed to be Gary? Um, she says that back then, and I'm born in the '50s. She took a saliva test, and it said 50% she was having a boy. So I might not be a great mathematician, but I know what 50% means. <laughs> somehow she just grabbed that boy and. Um, and that was it. So I think when I arrived, competition arrived. And um, yeah, I always say I landed into enemy territory because I knew that I didn't do anything wrong. I just existed. I just came into the world. I mean, I just showed up. Because I act is very funny. I have very, very early memories. I have memories of infancy. I remember many specific things, yet I have a horrible memory in general, which I've self-diagnosed because I've been into 
Uh, I've been at when I lived in UCLA. I was in like a psycho, a neurological. Um, I forgot what kind of test. Went through all the testing to see what's wrong with my memory. I did it back when I went to New York to Columbia Presbyterian, and nothing showed up. Um, I was thinking, well, maybe a learning disability. Maybe when I had, um, I got malaria a number of years ago, my fever spiked 107. Maybe it was that. Maybe when they accidentally cut my jugular vein when they were removing something in my neck. I was trying to figure out why do I suffer from such a horrible memory. And I ended up, not that long ago, reading an article about um, this daughter, this mother-daughter in the mid in somewhere in one of the uh, Middle Eastern countries who was completely abused by the father. But on the outside, the rest of the world thought he was, you know, a wonderful, they were a wonderful family and he was a wonderful father. But what he did to his mother, to his wife and his daughter were horrific. And she escaped with the daughter to America. And the daughter suffers from horrible, horrible memory problems. And it was diagnosed as a a post-traumatic stress disorder, and I thought, maybe that's it. Maybe I, that's what I have. And I sort of self-diagnosed, and I said, I, that must be it. Hmm. It's funny, um, listening to you talk about your relationship, I, I see a lot of similarities with my father where I wouldn't describe him necessarily as narcissistic, but I would describe him as a know-it-all and uh, he's still very much alive and still very much uh, aware of my career and my career choices, which don't please him. Uh, you know, saying you still have a job, still have enough work, uh, which is hilarious. But I, I just find it interesting that we as children put so much. Uh, and we're always told to respect our elders. And Dr. Sacco and I talked about this before we got you on the show. We're taught to respect them. And initially we figure out we, we assume they know it all. And there are many instances where my father would say something about something that I had inherently more knowledge about. And I went, wait a second, that's wrong. Why is he trying to tell me that it's right and he knows better? And it creates such tension for children. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming you you were in that position as well, where you inherently knew something more um, intimately than your mother. And, and there, it created conflict inside of you? Oh boy! I mean, the conflict wasn't. It was. It was different because my mother actually even wrote in a letter that she produced me. I'm her product, and I'm destroying it. So she owned me. She wanted to mold me and control me, and and I felt like I was a slave. I thought you have children to have slaves, but I couldn't understand why my brothers were loved and adored. And I was the slave. I was like Cinderella. Mm. So I, my early memories, very early memories, I thought I was adopted because I was trying to figure out, like, why am I treated like this? And then I, I remember I told my grandmother, and she said, and she laughed. I said, don't tell anybody. And she thought it was so funny, she told everyone. Oh, boy. So, so when I was convinced that I wasn't adopted, I had to figure out what is going on here. I, I just arrived. <laughs> Why am I being treated like this? And, and here's the difference between me and a lot of my, my contemporaries who had mean mothers or mean father or hypercritical parent who, you know, had a long time scar in their life, um, is that a lot of my friends grew up feeling not good, en good enough, right? right? Whatever the criticism was, not good enough. I knew 
because she criticized everything. There was emotional abuse and there was physical abuse, but the emotional was much worse. I knew there was nothing wrong with me because I just came in. I knew there was something wrong with her. And I, and I used to, I wanted to know what happened in her childhood. And when I was a young, little kid, I used to pick her brother's brain, Uncle Sonny. What happened in mommy's childhood? What happened when you guys were growing up? And, you know, there were so many secrets. And it took decades for me to uncover those secrets. So that's the good news. So I didn't grow up feeling like there was something wrong with me. I mean, from head to toe, there was not anything right, according to her. I mean, she wanted my nose changed for years, I mean, until today. I didn't grow up feeling I had a horrible nose in a, in, a, in a community in a time when people my age were having nose jobs. But I grew up feeling unloved and feeling I, and, and lied to constantly. She was constantly lying to me. So my issues are abandonment and trust, and that's, that's my, my life scars that I, I'm challenged with. You know what's really interesting, Gail, as I'm listening to you talk, it's really <clears throat> intriguing because when you look at a lot of, how should we put, parent-child relationships, usually there is a rivalry between the father and sons, and Todd and I were talking about this, how fathers want the best for their sons because basically the son is a chip off the old block um, and it's almost like the father wants what's best for his son wants to see him to achieve uh, his goals and his dreams but within dad's limitations within the parameters that dad has set which are usually practical guidelines to keep you know the family name slash gene pool going within if you even want to call it dad's dictatorship so with that said, um, our listeners are probably going, yeah, this happens a lot between moms and da- daughters, more than a lot of people can imagine, correct? Oh, I, I actually think in a way more so. I mean, they say the mother-daughter relationship is, is uh, the most highly charged relationship, and one word could turn it, you know, one word could turn it in one direction or the other. I just did a private screening here in Beverly Hills the other night at a... Uh, uh, a celebrity's home, and so there were some celebrities there, and you know it was a it was an interesting bunch of people. Um, Shirley Jones, you remember her from the Partridge family, was there, and her husband Marty Angles, and there was a woman that came, and when she walked in, I mean a head turner. She looked like such a fashionista. What what she was wearing, she was just, I mean, absolutely gorgeous, and um, you know somebody you would like see in the society pages or on the high fashion pages and and she came with her daughter who uh a beautiful person but um in tremendous pain who was you know uh not petite and thin like her mother by any means you know not dressed like her mother just you know pants jeans whatever she was wearing and you probably wouldn't even have thought they were related and um, they hadn't spoken in, in, a, in quite a while, and they were encouraged to come to the screening because of my film, because my film is about the transformation of a highly charged mother-daughter relationship. And I, I say from Mommy Dearest, you know, the Joan Crawford story, mm-hmm. to Dear Mom or From Hatred to Love. And it was remarkable because at the end of the film, um, I went, well, I was... 
somehow I was brought to them, and they were talking. I got them talking. And, um, yes, I mean, it's, it's a really challenging relationship and a challenging dynamic. There's a lot that goes into it. You know, I think uh, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of wanting your child to be just like you or, or to make them into something they're not. Are you familiar with something called connective parenting? I've heard the concept. There's a therapist who connected with me named Bonnie Harris, and she's written books on it. I haven't yet read the books. I've just been on her website. But her whole um, form and, and uh, her whole idea of parenting is that you, you observe your child from birth. You learn who they are. You understand who they are because they are another human being. They are not a human being that came in, and you're now going to make them into what you want. So you observe them. You, you, you learn them. You learn about them. You see what they're good at. You see, and you build that up. You build that person up into being who they are, who's, who, what, what they are about. Oh, absolutely. You know what, Gail, which is really interesting. We have to go to our break now. We're going to come right back. But it's interesting. I'm going to use the term which uh, is oftentimes misconstrued, and it's called human cloning. And, right. we, and that's basically the, the concept that a lot of parents basically do. They clone mini-me's or mini-versions of themselves, and some of them literally are molding the child, and Todd and I were talking about this, in their image, to vicariously live through that kid to achieve the dreams that they once had themselves, but they had to stop to do things practically. So now what they're doing is they're passing on the torch and making this kid either live their dream or not live their dream to do something practically. we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Gail, and we're going to hear more about Look at us now, Mother. We'll be right back. You're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio at talk-radio.ca. Buying or selling a home, condo, or investment property may be one of the largest transactions you'll ever make. It's important to gather as much information as you can, and preferably from experienced, successful professionals. When it comes time to make your move, call the Mulholland Ross Real Estate Team with Keller Williams Real Estate Service at 416-230-8500 or visit www.realestatetoronto.com. Whether you're making your first move or selling your much-loved family home, the Mulholland Ross team offers over 26 years of real estate sales and service across the GTA. Listen every Sunday at 4 p.m. here on Radio That Doesn't Suck to hear the team share advice and information that will assist you with your personal wealth through real estate. Questions or topics you'd like to see covered? Email info at realestatetoronto.com or call the Mulholland Ross team at 416-230-8500. Welcome to my new book, Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths, which is not just a book about ghosts and haunted places, rather about history in the Niagara region. This book explores and uncovers parts of the Niagara region which are considered some of the richest in North American history and the most haunted. As a matter of fact, one of the bloodiest battles in North American history, the War of 1812, between the British and the Americans was fought here. And this year, the bicentennial year anniversary of the War of 1812 is covered in this book. 
This book explores most of the haunted places, legends that have existed from the 1800s right now to 2012. Each chapter covers a different type of landmark which not only educates readers on historical significances, but also entertains with anecdotal ghost stories and paranormal investigations. Join me in this book as we visit beds and breakfasts, ships and boats, trains, tunnels, museums, mansions, highways, forts, cemeteries, waterfalls, and many more, and see if the Niagara region is really haunted. Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths is now available at Indigo Chapters and online on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and visit our website, www.niagara'smosthaunted.com. Be afraid. Be very afraid. To Mental Health Matters with Dr. Peter Sacco on radio that doesn't suck.com and rtds.ca. Well, hello there, and welcome back to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week. And what's mattering most to us right this moment, right this hour, is Gail Kirschenbaum, who is our tremendous guest. She is an award-winning filmmaker, TV producer, blogger, and personality who has done many, many things, especially on TLC, Discovery Health, and she co-created Judgment Day that aired on HBO. And she's also a member of the Producers Guild of America. But what we're talking about right now, right this minute with Gail, is her new feature film called Look At Us Now, Mother. And Todd wants to ask her a question. I have a question about the title. Um, typically, I think when we're trying to impress our parents, don't we say, look at me now, mom? And the title is Look At Us Now, Mother. I'm, I'm wondering why the, why the change of title is it? I'm just curious about it. You mean why is it us and not me? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Because it's not directed to my mother. It's directed to the, to the audience, to the world. To all those because kids. I want people, because my movie is about a transformation of a mother-daughter relationship. So it's look at us now. Look how far, look where we came, you know? Look at the change that happened in this relationship. And I'm talking to the public, not to my mother. So it's an open letter to all mothers saying, look at how well these kids have done. Yeah, or, or, or daughters, yeah. you know. I mean, my whole message here, it, it's to the, people, period. Because my message of my film is I go on a journey to figure out what happened. Why was I treated this way? And dig in and take this journey and understand it to get to a place. And I set it up in the beginning of the film. When you see us in conflict... And by the way, there is plenty of humor in it. Um, to say, yes, to say, am I ever going to be able to get to a place to understand and forgive and love my mother before time runs out? Because, you know, I started off and you see us and we're no spring chicken. You know, she's a senior, I'm middle age, and we don't have so much, you know, time left with her being around. Who knows? I say she's going to live into her hundreds. <laughs> To keep you on the straight and narrow. In our 90s already. Yeah, to keep you on the straight and narrow, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, Gail, has this film, would you say, mended any broken bridges from the past? And has it brought you 
even more closely respectful towards your mother in a way where it's an emotional journey, so to speak. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the key thing for me was getting to a place that I could forgive my mother, and this has become like my life mission to teach others how you do that. How do you teach somebody who's been abusive to you? How do you, how do you forgive them? But yes, um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's funny because I kind of look at her as my kid. Um, and we had our world premiere just very recently in Sarasota, Florida, and it was, it was quite overwhelming. It was sold out, standing ovation. We were being cited where, and approached wherever we went, um, from, ba- from the bathroom to the parking garage, with people who had seen the film or heard about the film. So I think she's... Um, I think she's getting a kick out of the response to the film, too. But, yes, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know anybody else who has a mother that would have been willing to take this journey because this this film is very, very, very raw and very personal. And, um, yeah, so, so when, there you have it. Do, do you want to know why I made the film? Absolutely. What led me to make this film? Absolutely. I kind of have a sneaking suspicion, but I want you to explain it to us. Okay. Well, I, I, a number of years ago, um, you know, as I started to say earlier, my mother, you know, criticized everything about me or ma- many things about me from head to toe. And one of the big things besides my hair, which is curly, was my no- is my nose. And that started, you know, when I was, my nose started to grow as a, uh, as a young teenager. And so this, her campaign to get me to have a nose job continued well into adulthood and middle-aged years. And so I finally agreed as, uh, as when, you know, a few years ago that I would go visit a plastic surgeon with her for a consultation as long as I can have a camera crew. And she was fine with that. And she was also convinced that everybody agreed with her, um, that if I had a nose job, my life would be much better. So, oh, or I find a husband because I'm actually not married. So she was convinced if I had a nose job, then I would find a husband. So (laughs) turns out I make a very funny film, which is only 13 minutes long, and I make it for her. But it ended up getting invited to one festival, and then, then it just took off. And when I was at a festival, because it's only 13 minutes long, and I would be on a panel with other filmmakers for a Q&A, and I'd get off the stage, there would be a line in front of me. And these people would, and I got to the point I knew immediately what they were going to say, and they said it in this order. I love your nose, don't touch it. I can't stand your mother. How do you talk to her? And the third is, let me tell you my story. So I started hearing everybody's story, and I realized, oh, my God, there are so many people out there in pain. I remember a woman, and, and frequently they were, they were people who were older than, than I am, and this woman opened up her coat to show me her weight issue, going back to you know, her childhood, and her mother was long dead, and she was still carrying this anger and resentment. So I ended up coaching these people because they couldn't understand how I can talk to my mother, and that brought me from the auditorium, because the next movie was about to be played, to the lobby or the, uh, of the film of the uh, theater. 
And somebody, somebody witnessed this as a therapist and said, you need to do a seminar. And that's when I sat down and said, okay, how did I do this? How did I forgive my mother? And um, I wrote out what I call the seven healing tools, and I started doing seminars for all kinds of audiences because you know to achieve anything in your life, you need courage. And it's those negative voices that tell you you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not you know, talented enough that block you from, from having the courage to achieve great things in your life. So, um, so I would do them for entrepreneurs. I, I would do them for different groups, and I heard more and more stories. It was very interesting because the men in the seminars would talk about the toxic boss because I would teach people how you transform difficult relationships. And at break, they'd come to me personally and tell me about uh, a, a toxic parent, usually a father for them. But the women in the seminar, they were, they were much more open. they talk about a toxic parent. I remember there was a woman in the seminar who was absolutely beautiful, and she was an actress and very ingenue, and you can see she's beautiful inside and out. And she um, shared that her father preyed upon her and was extremely insulting to her and not to her sister. And one day she got a very nasty text from her father, and her sister was with her. And her sister said, ah, forget about him. Just think about him as a big baby in a diaper. So, so that's it, you know. It's the sensitive ones that are preyed upon, and, and it's about reframing how you look at that person who is so abusive to you. And we all want our parents to love and adore us. But when they're abusive to us, you have to reframe how you look at them and know they're a wounded child. So in my film, I take you on my own journey to find that out and to figure out what happened to my mother and my father because he was, he was filled with rage and it was targeted towards me too. I, I just essentially lived in enemy territory. My brothers were her bouncers that worked for her. You hold her down, you do this to her. So I didn't have one ally in the house. Um, yeah. So, so when I saw the reaction to that, and, the, and then the nose film became extremely uh, popular, just this little homemade short film, and when we premiered in Washington, D.C. at a festival, I, we ended up on the cover of the Washington Post style section, and there was the picture of my profile in front of the Indian on the Buffalo Nickel, my mother always said that my nose looked like the Indian on the buffalo nickel. And the first line into that article, the journalist writes, if you have a mother like Gail Kirschenbaum, you better get yourself into psychoanalysis. Well, my mother reads it, and she goes, great, bad press is better than no press. I'm on the cover of the Washington Post. Wow. So I knew, I knew, I knew, A, I had a mother with a thick shell, and she loves attention. I knew I had a very funny and smart mother, and she's the queen of the one-liners. And I knew that I had a huge archive of footage because my father got the 8-millimeter camera in the 50s, so my life is documented literally in my mother's stomach, and the next shot I'm in her arms. And he was, carrying, he was shooting through the 70s, and then I took over. I knew I'd have to go back and tell their story, and they have a huge archive uh, in photographs. And I even had my father's, or I was, I knew my father had a World War II book. 
I had to find it. So I saw all his pictures, and I ended up finding their love letters during World War II. And I had always been into genealogy, so I had done some research about even further back. So I knew I had, and also I'm a storyteller, so, and I'm a very open person. So I knew I had what it took to make this film because my mother agreed to go on this journey with me. And I said to myself, who else is going to do this? And because people used to say to me that the nose film was brave, and I'm like, that's just light and fluffy. There's nothing brave about it. And I remember they'd say, oh, your mother, how do you talk to her? And I would just think, you haven't seen anything yet. I mean, she's, you know, that's a very short movie. And I felt like I was tapped to do this this film that, you know, I always I comment about, um, you know, John Lennon's line, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. Mm-hmm. I felt like, oh, God, I have to do this. You know, I spent my career telling everybody else's story. And, um, and I actually ended up in front of the camera many years ago when I made a funny film with my dog called The Dog's Life, a documentary, which did premiere on HBO and got, got a pretty <clears throat> big fan club. But that threw me in front of the camera. And again, I was on a lot of talk shows and, I felt completely comfortable in front of the camera. So all of that, you know, I was, I was fine with. So, yeah, so this is like my, I, I became the accidental therapist. And I'm not schooled as a therapist by any means. I, I, you know, I don't have a degree in psychology. Um, but it's, um, yeah, so we're building this outreach campaign now to go out and help people. Uh, I'm going to focus it on forgiveness and healing between mothers and daughters, but believe me, everyone relates to this. Uh, I've seen, I've screened the film for people of different colors, sizes, shapes, genders, you, know, um, you just name it, and it's very relatable. That's why my poster, I don't know if you saw it, it says, did you ever feel like you were born into the wrong family? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Part of this, though, I, what I want to hear from you about your journey is, as a as a therapist of of sorts, how do you sort through the various wrongs that were done in your life, if you get that granular, and determine whether there's something that could have, something that you're willing to forgive, something that's a character flaw? Like, how do you go through that process and just say, I have to forgive her of this because of, of some particular thing that she had no control over, or I'm still angry at her about this because it was preventable. She could have done A, B, and C to not be this way. Well, I, this is what I say. You know, when she was incapable, she, she herself was and is a wounded child. Um, I dug into her past. I saw what she went through as a child and um, and realized, yeah, she had tremendous rage towards me. Even when you look at this eight, eight millimeter footage and you see me in a in a um, high chair and she's feeding me, she's yanking my arm, you know. Um, but then there's other footage where I see her being sweet and kind to me. So she was just not a happy person at that time. You know, you also have to realize another thing. You know, she was raising children. Well, my elder brother was born in the 40s and and we were born in the 50s at a time when women didn't have many opportunities. You know, they were just told you get married, that's it. You know, forget about a career. 
You get married, you're a housewife, you raise the children. Well, I have a really smart mother. And, um, and also she came from a very poor family. So she couldn't afford to go to college because she had to help support her family. And when she married, it's like my father didn't even want her to work. You know, you're, you're, you stay home with the children. So that generation of women were quite repressed. I have friends who are my contemporaries who went to Wellesley, and one of my girlfriends says within 10 of her girlfriends, like three of their mothers committed suicide. And I think what happens is they become extremely jealous of their daughters who have opportunities they did not. Daughters who went on to get higher education and have careers and be accomplished. And there's a jealousy there. So there's many, many things going on between this mother-daughter relationship. It's the, you know, it's the generation and the time. Um, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of jealousy. So, Gail, we're almost out of time, which is absolutely unfortunately uh, for us, because I'm absolutely loving this, loving it immensely. Please tell everybody listening about the film in terms of where they can see it, where it's being screened. Um, I know it's you're going to be uh, with the Jewish Film Festival. You can give us any information on any and all of the above and also how people can keep track of everything here. Okay, so the most important information people should get is the website, because the website will have everything as the film is playing more and more places. And that website is lookatusnowmother.com. And if you go into that website, you'll see upcoming screenings. Also, we have a newsletter, so you can just sign up for that, and we'll keep you up to date. And the newsletter is going to have a lot of content as we grow and as we build our community. So that's the most important information. The next screening is in Toronto, and it's playing at the Toronto Jewish Film Festival. And actually, Mom and I are coming. We'll be in Toronto. Yay. We have a screening on May 8th, which I think is a Friday. And then, very appropriately, on May 10th, which is Mother's Day. And I think they're mid-afternoon. But all that information's on the website. And then I head off to Israel for anybody who's in Tel Aviv, and it's premiering in, um, in Tel Aviv, I think on May 15th and 16th. Again, um, just check the website. Everything's there. Yeah, and so and we have a Facebook page that we would love people to like us called Look at Us Now Mother, and I have a Twitter account, which is my name, but my website, our website, has all the little icons that you can hit to get to Facebook and Twitter. We have a very funny YouTube channel with funny videos from mom, conversations with mom, um, helpful hints from mom. She's a pistol. She's a very funny person. People are saying she should be a stand-up comedian. When she, um, when she grows yeah. up, she can be a comedian when she grows up. Right. Uh, and you can watch the trailer on the website, too. I see that uh, now I'm going to watch that as soon as we're done the interview because it looks uh, intriguing for sure. Yes, yeah, right. Well, that's still frame it, mom, with sticking her tongue out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and then actually because we're I we you know, we premiered in Sarasota just recently we got a standing ovation. It was an amazing experience and every time I'm here I just was here in LA with a couple of screenings and the reaction is, is unbelievable and the emails that are coming through from people thanking me and um yeah, so this is my mission. 
So write to me. You know, I will get the emails. Uh, go onto Facebook. Become a friend. Communicate. So we're going to build a community. And again, my mission here is to help people get rid of this anger and resentment because, you know, when I presented the other night in a room full of very successful people in Hollywood, and I said, you know what, it doesn't matter how successful you are in life, your your fame, your fortune, your, you know, how many homes you have, children, grandchildren, if you haven't gotten rid of that anger and learned to forgive, that's eating away inside of you. And I will not mention one of the celebrities there who apparently um, refused to see his mother, who was very unkind to him when he left the house, was very kind to a sibling of his, but not him, and never even went to her funeral. And this, this is, you know, a person who's not a spring chicken now, and is very eager. I, I got an email um, through the publicist that was there that he wanted my contact info, and he's very eager to find out when am I screening next, where we're going to have a panel and really discuss this topic. Absolutely awesome. Um, the movie, once again, look at us now, mother. Our guest was Gail Kirschenbaum. Definitely, folks, get out there, see this movie, support it. It's absolutely awesome. And I think couldn't be better timing with Mother's Day, especially for moms and daughters who are strange. This is your chance to reconcile. Thank you so much, Gail, for joining us. It's been a slice, and hopefully we'll get you back soon sometime. Okay, thank you very much. Make sure you catch the podcast if you've missed the show, and uh, I'll be doing a blog post a little bit later as well. You can check at talk-radio.ca with all the contact information for the film and Gail. And we'll be right back after this short break on Matters of the Mind. You can talk to me. Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week. And as I said at the beginning of the show, please keep your comments, questions, or concerns of your mind coming to Facebook, uh, your messages to my emails, posting on Twitter, because we absolutely appreciate you guys. We love you, because these are hearts of the matter subjects, and we're trying to bring it out and make it very comfortable for people to discuss it much like Gail is doing with her wonderful film, which I am absolutely in love with, the idea, the concept, and can't wait to see it, uh, especially for moms and daughters who are estranged, dads and sons who are estranged, dads uh, and daughters, moms and sons, all of the above. Life is too short to keep grudges, unforgiveness, and not speak to one another. No, and I'm kind of hoping this movie, especially with the timing, like you said, about Mother's Day, that it it, it prompts some people to have a, a conversation. And, and like you said, life is too short. And deal with it. Move past it if you can. I mean, there's there's therapists. You're, you're a former therapist, uh, psychologist. There are people there willing to help you move past it. It's, uh, it's a shame to have to just, you know, abandon a relationship like that. 
Absolutely, and I think uh, Gail's awesome in the fact that she goes at this too with a hint uh, and sprinkle of sarcasm humor, uh, which I think is very, uh, very cool because it eases it. And I must say, I'm going to confess right here on radio, Gail almost made tea come through my nose as I was drinking. She was making me laugh. She is funny. <laughs> yeah, and her mother, uh, yeah, I can't wait to watch the trailer when we're done because this is going to be uh, fun to check out. And like she said, I should have asked her, you know, I'm sure her mom kind of use it like being a rock star now you know with the uh, being chased and limousines and who knows crazy times well it's it is crazy times and we got to use that term very loosely taught on our show yes <laughs> so folks we're not we're not insulting anybody crazy fun so with that said uh tune in next week join us i'm going to have director and writer don fields who is an award-winning uh filmmaker from once again cali who is working uh, in post-production on a tremendous movie called Fragile Storm, which stars the great Lance Henriksen uh, and also Mackenzie Mason and Jody Jaras. And we're going to have her on next week. Excellent. By all means, contact us on Twitter, Listen Up Talk. On Facebook, Listen Up Talk Radio. Dr. Peter Sacco is at petersacco.com. Reach out. We are doing this show for you and really want your feedback on the show. So we will talk to you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. You've been listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco. Reach him on his website, petersacco.com, or you can reach him through Listen Up at talk-radio.ca. We really thank you for listening. Reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash listenuptalkradio, on Twitter at at listenuptalk. We'll catch you next week. You don't need no pills. That man is not your man. And that's why I'm on.